This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Hello, humans. Welcome back for another installment of the Revenue Reel Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek. And today we have the great Heidi Solomon Orlick on the show. And Heidi is currently the VP of sales over at VXI. And she's also the founder and CEO of Girls Who Sell. And today, I I mean, Jesus Christ, we get fucking into it. We get into it. We talk women in technology. We talk gender equity and pay gaps. We talk all that is golf and strip clubs and Turkish bathhouses, oh my. We talk the criticalness of mentorship and supporting women and anyone that identifies with an ism of any kind. We talk the difference between being a producer versus a work processor. We talk the transition from MapQuest and TomToms to Google Maps, you know, thank the Lord. We talk mental health and sales. We talk the difference between men and women leaders in tech sales. We talk how to interpret rejection, specifically that it's just fucking business, not personal, and there's no crying in baseball. We talk COVID and the disproportionate devastation on, on women in the workplace, especially women of color. We talk women helping other women and male allyship. We talk uh, how I've come to interpret silence and inaction, even in the face of microaggressions, as a part of the problem. And of course, some amazing human beings that are, you know, doing things about it on the allyship front. We talk one very badass, uncomfortable story that Heidi shared during her experiences coming up as a woman in technology. And really though, friends, we talk human. If you find any value in things that we discuss, by all means, do tell a friend. Of course, you know, like, follow, and if you feel so inclined, can leave us a review. That goes a, a really long way in helping others to find the show, and I would greatly appreciate it. Anybody that has any thoughts, by all means, hit us up on the hotline at 646 470 That's 646 646- Four seven zero zero two four eight. This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahovchek, and enjoy. Heidi Solomon Orlick, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. Thanks for having me, Amy. Heidi, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. Like, let's get the business out of the way just to give a, a quick breakdown. So, our target audience is the experienced tech seller. Okay. The theme of the show is conversations about uncomfortable conversations in sales. I generally do a little blurb about everyone beforehand, right? So let's just assume that our our listener friends have been um, filled in about who you are and what you represent and all, you know, all the amazingness. Um, I tend to, I, I generally leave the last 10 minutes for my final two questions which uh, I'm going to I'm going to keep to myself for right now but they're they're okay. goodies and there are no rules on the show um, except that this is a judgment free zone this is a mistake friendly zone and it's a tangent friendly zone and so with that um, I wrote down a, a bunch of things that we could possibly discuss and so I'm going to read the list back to you and then I would ask that you share where you'd like to begin yeah, that sounds good. I am all about uncomfortable conversations. I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I was a one of the original 26 women who were part of the national organizing team for the Women's March on Washington. And I was the founder and co-chair of Women's March Pennsylvania. And we I was living, obviously, in PA at the time. And, um, you know, so got very privileged and blessed to work with 
not only an absolutely incredible group of women who were instrumental in putting together the historic march, but we were all about, you know, driving uncomfortable conversations. Started before the march and it's continued after the march. So I'm all in. Oh my gosh, honey, that's amazing. We're we're gonna have all so that now gets added to the list because that was my first career path was I was going to be in politics. So I went to school in DC on uh, scholarships because I had won this model Congress competition. But anyway, I, I digress. We can go back to that. But you and I, I think now that I hear that, and you're right, I did not know that we have the a couple of things in common now, including the activism. Yeah. Okay, so the first one on the list is Girls Who Sell. Listeners, just so you know, this is an organization that is focused on injecting more young women into the profession. And so I've, Heidi, I have a passion for working with kids as well, um, starting with junior achievement. Uh, so in inner city high schools, teaching kids about money. Then, I mean, I've been very active with a feeder program at the community college near me here. And so I'm on the Jersey Shore with the tech program. And so we can go deep into that, but working with, with kids and, and feeders. So that was awesome. I'm very curious about your history, like how you got into sales and what that uh, journey has looked like and felt like. So I, I almost, I'm hoping that that's what you choose like to start. So hint, hint, wink, wink. Now, of course, all, all the, the activism work. Um, I know that you had done a, a podcast even before it was trendy. So as someone that's on that particular learning curve, I'm curious about that. I know that you are putting together a compilation of um, women writers for the book for Girls Who Sell that is going to be targeting, again, um, young young girls and, and helping them to uh, enter into the profession. And so that that is also of great interest. And of course, obviously, the work uh, as a leader over at with VTI. B- BXI, yeah, BXI, and uh, and then our nonprofit too that we just launched. So lots of exciting things going on. All right. So out of all those things, where would you like to begin? Well, let's start with maybe maybe it might not be a bad idea to start with my background. Yeah. And level set on that. So, and I love that you're focused on on you know women in tech because I think in particular technology sales has. Uh, one of the largest gaps, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, gender equity um, and, you know, and, and women in sales. And so, and it's just, you know, it's exploding, right? There need to be more women in there. So anyway, let me, I digress, but I know this is a digress zone. So I digress as well, but um, my background. So I started you know, 10 years in the advertising agency, direct marketing business. I took, while I was in college, I took a year off, went and worked for uh, Mary Wells at Wells Rich and Green. And even today, she's one of my sheroes. She was probably one of the only women. And and even still today, the ad agency business is pretty male, male dominated, but yeah. Um, she was a pioneer in terms of that industry. And, you know, when I, when I thought about um, what I wanted to do with my career, I really was, I really gravitated towards advertising and marketing and journalism and speech communications. And so I picked up the phone and called her, probably my first real experience in sales maybe, but, yeah. um, and she took the call, which was shocking. And yeah. I ended up getting hired in their media department. And, and so that was, you know, really my first experience in probably, you know, that was what, 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago of recognizing that there's not enough women in in leadership. Right. And um, the importance of being a mentor because she was um, such an influencer. She, you know, I worked for Wells Rich and Green for a, a about a year, she encouraged me to go back to school. And that was, you know, I got my degree. And then that was the start of a 10 year career. And I was really fast tracked. I mean, I I don't know if you're familiar with the ad agency business, but I will tell you that they, they just, you know, two you up and spit you out. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, 
it was great. I thought I was, I hope I can use a swear word. Oh yes. We, we, we swear all the time. I mean, I really thought I was hot shit, right? Like I was, you know, in my early twenties and I was working on all these international accounts and like Pino cruises, princess cruises. And I was traveling all over the world because of course we had to do our marketing research. And so, you know, we're traveling everywhere and I was, you know, working with great clients. Um, and after 10 years of that, um, burned out, you know, to be completely honest. And, but that was my first taste of sales. So at 30, I was, uh, jobless. I was, um, I just called off an engagement. So (laughs) marriage was not going to be a prospect. And I was probably the happiest I've ever been in my life because it was this pivotal moment to really try to figure out what I was going to, going to do. So, um, so I fell into, I bumped into a, a gentleman that I knew he was the friend of somebody I dated in college and hadn't seen him for years. And he had started this small BPO company, which was at the time, you know, really more telemarketing than BPO. Mm-hmm. I just saw him at a restaurant and we started to chat. He was like, well, so what are you doing? I was like, well, <laughs> not funny, you say. <laughs> funny you should ask about that. And, Anyway, he's like, well, you need to come work for me, you know, as vice president of sales. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know anything about the telemarketing business. And he was like, ah, don't worry about that. Nobody knows anything. We're learning every day. Mm-hmm. And so two days later, I was in his office and accepted a job. And, and that was the start of, you know, what has become a very successful going on 31 year career. And Amy's really interesting because you know, the, the industry has really evolved. I mean, from being more of a commoditized type of, of sale to a high value complex tech sale almost, right? Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. there's so many enabling technologies right now to help drive customer experience. But, but anyway, it's, it's um, but, you know, at the time I was the only woman at the table I was, you know, as I really started to get into the telemarketing industry, there, there were barely any women. Deals were being made at the, on the golf course, and I happened to suck at golf, or in the strip clubs, or in the, you know, cigar bars. And, and I just, you know, I decided then that I was not going to compromise my strengths as a woman. And I was going to leverage my femininity, uh, not by sleeping my way to the top, to be honest, because that's what women were expected to to do back then. Hopefully those conversations aren't happening. You know, we've earned the right (laughs) to get rid of those kinds of conversations. But Anyway, that was, that was it. Um, And and that's my story. And I've been in 30 years. I've always been about mentoring and supporting and sponsoring other women. And in 2019 decided actually went through a really transitional time in my life. And in 2020 decided to do it in a much more formal way and focus on not only closing the gender gap to B2B sales, but like you mentioned, working on early stage sales, emerging talent. So um, creating the, the largest, program. yeah, you're, yeah you're the feeder program, the feeder right? Program. Uh, so that's it. That was a long story, but no, hopefully it, was, it gives you some context of who I am. It does give me, I mean, I can see your outputs now and for listeners, just so you know, Heidi is, it's not just about gender there. It like diversity is, is broader. So Heidi is posting about race and equity on, on all fronts. And so there's a lot of isms and haves and haves nots and by haves and have nots, I'm talking about opportunity, um, access to information, access to networks. Um, and so Heidi's an equal opportunity, uh, lover and giver. I can tell Heidi. So just so you know, I am, I was raised by a, a sales leader. I was asked at the kitchen table every night, when did I feel butterflies in my stomach that day? And so if I did not feel butterflies in my stomach, my sisters and I, right? So it was, that's probably a gender and age appropriate analogy, but the, the implication, and it wasn't even a subtle implication. If we didn't have anything to report every night, then we were informed that we had not grown that day. Wow. That's uh, pretty intense. So, I mean, but, it, you know, within reason, but 
Uh, my parents were also very active, which is things that, that I'll, I have spoken about on the show. Um, but I was raised in Tom's River. So there was cancer in the water, cancer cluster. So children were dying and, and the, it was an interesting way to grow up, but I saw my parents and their friends, um, have a great time doing the right thing, right. And being active and seeking for more accountability and transparency and what have you. Um, my after, so I was on the track where I was going into politics and my first job right after school. So I went to school in American university was, a, it was a gubernatorial race in New Jersey. And the, the packages uh, the, always come at the most inopportune time. The, the UPS guy just so came I was, I was like hanging on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh yeah, my gosh. more please. Good. More we're please. like, so where, where did I leave off? No. So I was uh, saying, governor oh, yeah. Race so the gubernatorial race in New Jersey. So I was 21, about to be 22 after college. And our guy lost in the primaries. What, what generally, and so this is after months of like, you get emotionally invested in the platform and the candidate and who you're competing against. And I watched all of the campaign workers around. So I was court community organizing, right? From the very beginning. And I watched all of the, my peers, right? Literally gather their belongings, put them in a box and go to the other guy's campaign, right? That was on the same ticket. So just as one campaign shut down, the other one doubled in size. And in that moment, I just, I realized that I could not live this way. I could, I did, I could not, I, I just, maybe I was young and idealistic, but it just um, had to rethink my entire life plan at that moment. And I had a conversation with my dad who said that, like, was just kind of talking through like the workforce and that there were two type of workers out there. There were work producers and work processors. And work processors were a group of people that moved a pile of papers, right, from point A to point B. And this could be as high level as like financial analysts, right? They get some raw data uh, at the beginning of the month and then they crunch and do graphs and pull out insights and present it back or deliver it back at the end of the month. Still a processing. Same thing with walking through a, a customer at McDonald's, right? They walk in the door, you process their order, get them their food on to the next. And then um, the second type of worker that he said is that there are work producers. And these are people that are able to create something from nothing. Mm -hmm. And work producers, it's, it's a lot harder, right? However, when you, if you choose this, and if you choose to master these skills, these are transferable well beyond anything, any industry, any profession really, and you can apply them anywhere that you go. And so with that, with that conversation, I decided that I was going to go into sales and I knew that I wanted to be well-trained, right. And well-empowered. And so at the moment in time, just a timestamp, but I had a, a Tom Tom on my dashboard, like driving around to sales calls. So I was my client one, at <laughs> really? one point, Tom Tom was my client. I loved it. The Amazing. CEO, the, the president CEO of Tom Tom was awesome. Amazing. Anyway, uh, yeah. And so that was a big upgrade from printing out MapQuest directions right? from sales Remember calls that? to sales calls. Oh, my God. oh, yes. Oh, yes. I don't know how I ever got to a meeting, to I be honest. I don't either. Back either. I'm like, how did I ever get, especially, you know, traveling all over the world? I, I don't either. And so, but anyway, so <laughs> I, I was the, I stalked out or at the time ADP, right? Had the okay. best sales training program out there just like world-class. And so we were, I mean, obviously HR payroll, but there was a lot of tech too, right? So we had uh, time entry systems because, and like biometric hand scanners replacing like punch cards. Yeah. And I, so I stalked out them, right? And I like, I knew I didn't want small business services and national accounts laughed at me, but major accounts gave me a shot. And so I was the youngest person ever hired by the division and the only woman on the floor yeah. by a lot. And so still, still to this day, I mean, I don't like golf. I don't play golf because I, I, I didn't want, like, I remember that. I remember the strip clubs. I, and I remember walking away from deals when somebody wanted to close it in the Turkish bathhouse. Like, you know, it was just, That's right. I, I just, and it took a couple of years to be able to walk away from those deals. Like by, by years, I'm talking about a decade that's scary, right? Remember that moment where you knew that you had to walk away? It, I only did, it was one, it's, I had my hand, I went all the way to the location, right? Had said yes and 
had my hand on the door and part of me, like I'd never been to a Turkish bathhouse, but like I knew why, right. This person wanted to be here. And I, I just, I couldn't go. I couldn't do it. I, I refused. That was when I drew the line in the sand. Now I carried a bag for a decade. Okay. So finishing at Thomson Reuters, lots of awards, right? I actually won a Spacha award, which was company wide um, for exquisite champion building. But anyway, I too had an experience with burnout and had <laughs> have since clocked a lot of hours in the mental health care system. But anyway, that's my story and I'm sticking. I to love it. that. I love that story. Yeah. And I think you know, I think mental health and sales is a big, big issue. I think I like to, I am liking to, um, that it's getting some traction right now mm-hmm. in terms of individuals um, who are out there really talking about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's sales is hard, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I think anyone who says it differently, it's, it's, they're not being truthful, right? And, and that's really important as you know we're out there you know trying to mentor and talk to young women about getting into sales mm-hmm. you know it's not all um about oh yeah you're gonna you know have financial independence and you're gonna yeah there's a lot you get to travel and you get to you know work with really cool clients and yeah there's a lot you get to solve problems and um you know all of the wonderful things that comes with being in a sales career mm-hmm. but one thing that we don't do is try to say it's easy. Mm-mm. And um, and I think mental health and burnout is a big issue. I mean, are you seeing that today oh, as yeah. well? It's so this time last year, I, so I wrote, I think I shared this with you, the article. Did you read the sales hacker article, the mental health, the greatest competitive advantage? I, I did. That was great. I mean, it was, it was, yeah, I loved it. So it's that, I'm with you that we're starting to talk about it more, but I think that there's a tremendous amount of room for improvement um, and a bunch of ways. And so, by the way, I'm with you on, I don't apologize for the amount of work that this profession takes, um, not in the least. However, I think that some of the the ways that, that we have planted flags as far as best practices go for the culture are counterproductive, right? For the, what we now know, to be the root causes of productivity and performance, like mm, autonomy as one example, um, mm-hmm. happiness as another example. And so when, but anyway, so the mental health thing is that is, uh, yeah, we got a, we got a long journey there, but I think that we're starting to see a shift, starting with people starting telling, telling stories and telling yeah. their own stories and telling their own experiences and, and like destigmatizing. Yeah. And it's not a weakness. Right? It's not a like, weakness. Yes. It's not a weakness. You know. And also there's a massive upside to getting your mentals in order. And so for me, like Heidi, when I was younger, I remember reading a lot of, so I gave up music for a year while I was learning to sell, right. And driving around to sales calls. And so, um, lots of books on tape. I didn't even do fiction. It was all nonfiction, but I misinterpreted something about like the negative feelings and aspired to not feel them really. And like, just ice them out and didn't like not give them any, any room or any space while I was just kind of plowing through the work involved of of doing the job. And that didn't work well in the long run for me. And so at that point, when everything, when all my emotions uh, revolted, I didn't have any tools really to understand or interact with those negative feelings, which interestingly enough, all came up and out during me too, when that hit. Yeah, I was I was there um, at the protesting at the Kavanaugh hearings. I'll have to send you some pictures. Yeah, oh no, I can't wait of to see me those. protesting. <laughs> but you know, I agree. I I think you know, for me, a coping tool has been to compartmentalize a little bit and realize that you know there is a lot of rejection in sales. You get you get a lot of no's. You gotta you gotta bang on a lot of doors. You know, until um, perhaps you you know and and. And, and I don't like to just think of it as a numbers game. I just, I, I'm not a big fan of, of that analogy, but for me, I had to realize that the, that it's business, right. And that it's not personal and try to compartmentalize that. So if somebody says, no, 
or if they say, you know, we've decided to go with another solution. You know, I put my heart and soul into it. So sometimes it is like getting a knife, you know, put through, you know, it's like, oh, we worked so hard on this deal. And, you know, I can't believe that they actually went or, you know, when you're just trying to, you know, do prospecting or whatever. But that has helped me at least, you know, trying to do some compartmentalizing and realize that it's business, not personal. Yeah. So I, I love that. And I love that distinction. And actually it makes me think about how to tighten up the way that I'm describing it. For me, it was less about the rejection per se. Um, It was more about like, so like when we think of in Western societies, right, we define success as based on an outcome. And, and this is broader than just selling, right? So this is when I buy a house, when I get married, when I have that child, when, 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 this is when I'll be happy. And it just, it doesn't work like that. And the, really the only place to be, and so to be happy is in the present moment and in the journey, which I'll come back to, but in sales, that is exacerbated because our outcomes, if we have a good quarter, if we have a good month, right. And we hit our number, then what do we have like a weekend to celebrate it? And it, starts all over again. And so it's like this, maybe it's a, what have you done for me lately? And and not only that, and if you don't do for me, then you're fired. Right. And you're gone. And so it, it was that steady, like never being able to relax, never being able to mentally. And, but again, not having the tools to do so. And so this is where I think injecting more skill development at that frontline manager level about how to handle um, you know, just that redefining of what success is. It's the journey. It's looking at competition, not as battle cards of, of a competitor product, but we're the biggest, or even our peers and the leaders boards or the dashboards that everybody's got shoved in their face. It's about focusing on yesterday's version of yourself and getting a little bit better. And so like, these are slight tweaks that have tremendous impact on our mentals. But it's funny though, because I want to bring this now back to Girls Who Sell and the book project. Um, because oh, yeah. I, I went deep into the research on gender and sales um, around September of October and October of last year that then expanded to be right just a broader diversity right and I it, I was no longer just going to write about gender when we were still like murdering black people with that, with impunity and so it it got bigger than that but I've got like I did a tremendous amount of research and have like a hundred pages written about the current state, very similar to the mental health article, but I had to stop Heidi because that was right when all of the stats about women that were leaving the workforce were coming out from last year. And it just, it broke my heart a little bit because I had gone my whole career thinking, we're just going to, we're going to leave the forest a little bit greener than I, than we found it. And at that, at least at that time last year, HBR was calling it a crisis. And the numbers of, of women and, and women in leadership roles in particular were rivaling, we're back to like the late eighties, early nineties mm-hmm. and in tech in particular, right? This is not a forgiving space, you know, for welcoming women no. back in after the economy, trillions of dollars, right? And we're, 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 we've gone back, but I agree. And so, so this is where, yeah. this is almost like, I, I'm curious about what, what you're seeing right now and um, what's working, what's not. And, or, you know, so it is a feeder program. It's the front end and it's also the leadership. And so this is where mentorship and having relationships um, comes in. But what's a year, what, what, have, what has the past year been like from where you're sitting? Yeah, I mean, I think COVID has had a, a tremendous impact on women particularly women in certain, you know, industry sectors that were exponentially impacted that had already had a larger percentage of of women in there. So, you know, retail as an example, you know, the food. Food and beverage, hospitality. Food and beverage, hospitality, you know, all those industries that trended a little more female. So, yeah, I think it's been devastating, right? I think that uh, I also have seen the stats and, and um, you know, women of color have exponentially been impacted even more than, you know, than, than white women. So 
that breaks my heart. Yeah. And it was interesting to me that we had a reverse household growing up. I was the primary breadwinner in, in our household. We raised three boys. Um, my husband was a stay-at-home dad for 15 years. So wow. we, we had a complete re- reverse. I was traveling all over the world, working with really cool clients and having the privilege of, you know, getting to, to partner with individuals all over the world. And he was schlepping the kids to, you know, doctor's appointments and doing laundry and cooking and paying bills. And, but that is a pretty unusual, you know, I mean, you see it a little more now than, than you would have maybe even 15 years ago, 20 years ago, but women in COVID left the workforce in droves because they were still expected to take on most of the unpaid caregiving responsibilities, whether that was homeschooling their children or, you know, cooking and cleaning or taking care of an elderly parent or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that did drive a lot of women out of the market. The silver lining for me and what I've seen is I've seen a lot of people, a lot of women pivot out of corporate and go into entrepreneurship and start new businesses, new ventures. And to me, that's super exciting. I, I don't have any kind of numbers, Amy, or any, you know, particular stats that I could, you know, we could probably research it a little bit, but the number of people that I know that have, um, that had left either decided to leave because they had to take care of family responsibilities or were forced out because their positions were eliminated or because of COVID or, or they were downsized or whatever. They've started businesses and it's going to take us time to get back to, you know, pre-COVID numbers in terms of um, financial influence and, and impact. But I, I feel I still feel confident. Yeah. And I still think it's important, you know, what we're doing in terms of creating a pipeline of, of future leaders and who, who are resilient and who are confident. And if I learned one thing working with, you know, in the, the Women's March and I had the opportunity to work with the Youth Ambassador Program was incredible. We had applications from over 300 young people across the world. And if you want to get humble, let me tell you, seeing what these young, young people were doing everywhere from, you know, eight years old to, you know, 20 in their early twenties, that's humbling. And the youth are our future. And so, you know, while I want to do everything I can to support and mentor um, women, of course, I am really super hyper-focused and, you know, on 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 building building up our youth. Yeah, on that front line. No, it's, you're right. And it's, I think of it like both oars in the water. And it's interesting so I'm laughing about not you not having any stats. I've got enough stats coming on my ass for like five of us. And so, so don't you worry about that. Yeah, you can. I'm sure, yeah. So I'll let you worry about the stats. I'll just. Not pretty. Okay. The only reason listeners I'm not oh, in the mom right now is because like, I don't want to cry at the moment. Um, however, but what, what, what yeah, strikes thanks. me though, is that, and so now I'm speaking specifically when it comes to tech sales, when you've got a, a woman leader, Generally, mm-hmm. the demographics, and by the way, I'm with you on intersectionality and listeners, for anyone that is unfamiliar with the concept of intersectionality and how race and gender is a force multiplier for, let's say, Black women, just as an example, it's, it's fucking real. And that is an excellent consult the Oracle um, exercise. So go educate yourself. Uh, that said, when you're looking at demographics on a sales floor, um, when you've got a, a woman leader, it tends to play out at 50-50. Whereas right, right now, the majority of leaders on tech sales floors are white men. So 85% yeah. to be exact. And then the demographics play out right at 80-20, 80% white right. men, 20% everybody else. And so one of the ways to not just create a warm landing pad for these girls who sell that you're speaking of, 
but to have a space where, where we're able to maintain their presence. Because let me tell you, it's hard dealing with a potential buyer that wants to stick around with that power dynamic. But when you come right. internally and tell your manager and they don't care because they want the revenue more or they don't believe you, it's harder. Like that's a harder thing to come to terms with is the internal stuff or the peers aspect of things in my experience and in my opinion. Um, but that said, when you've got a, a woman leader, that's where you've got a warmer landing pad and a safer space to be able to grow and foster and like different styles of selling that are not as bro-y. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> of course I, um, you know, the bro culture is, you know, and that's some of the things that we're doing is trying to break that, break that down. But I got to I got to disagree a little bit. Okay. Yeah. No, please. Uh, I love it. Push, push back a little bit because Which I got to tell you, Which... I, I don't on the, you know, women. Now, maybe the stats show that if there is a woman leader, um, you know, that it, there's more equity, right? Like that they maybe are more focused on, you know, trying to bring the percentages up to, to 50, 50. Mm -hmm. I agree. I, I do agree with that. One area though, for me that I still really struggle with mm -hmm. is that I don't think women are always very kind to each other, are not necessarily always very supportive of each other. So when you have only a certain number of spots in leadership and women are trying to compete for, for those positions, a seat at the table, you know, I like to think that we're all empower each other and support each other and all of that. But I will tell you that I, that has not always been my experience. Yeah, no, you're spot on. You're spot on there. And I, I would second that. It's We've all been raised in a patriarchal society and women have been conditioned to compete with one another. That's how it goes. Right. And so is it really that surprising that that certainly plays out in the boardroom? But I must say, like, so Cynthia Barnes was on the show. Uh, the episode yeah. hasn't published yet, but she was on the show. Um, I don't know, maybe like two weeks ago now. And we had a- By the way, I love Cynthia. She She's on our advisory board and she and I are working very collaboratively together. So um, she's just a, a rock star. I absolutely love her. So I, sorry I had no, to no, put no, in my, okay. two, my, I, my support for Cynthia because she's amazing. I agree with that statement and I too support and endorse the fabulousness of Cynthia Barnes. Um, but what I was going to say is that she was challenging me on, on our conversation in that, like, you know, I almost skewed a little bit towards what you were saying about just having the legacy experiences that you're describing and which are very real. Right. And I've had them too. And, but Cynthia was, was again, checking me on how much that has shifted in the past couple of years and how, you know, just women helping women it's different and it's getting better and it's getting better. It starts with, you know, even just the mindset of, of expecting that or looking for that and how special those mentorship relationships are and can be, I think that's how it started. Cause I was like, I've had mostly like dude mentors, frankly. And well, but, that's why if I can interrupt, sure, sure. I mean, that's why we're doing this book, right. Is because it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's not about girls to sell. It's really about amplifying. In fact, Cynthia is um, one of our author contributors. I, you cannot believe the rockstar group of women that are, it's just, I'm so excited. It's really about lifting and amplifying um, and supporting other other women. And Jen Ferguson and Cynthia and Lauren Bailey and a, a couple of other really amazing women are coming together to do a show for Equality Day. And you'll see more in social on this. So I don't want to, um, and I got to give Jen 100%. Um, you know, credit for pulling everybody together, but it was, we had our kickoff call. It's called hashtag privilege for power. And it's really about owning and recognizing our privilege and, and how we can utilize that to help move the needle and, and better support other women. Right. And so the reason this. I say that is because when you look at Cynthia, who 
owns NAWSPN and Lauren who owns, you know, Factory and Girls Club and Girls Who Sell, you would think, oh my goodness, all, or Lori Richardson, who's, who's writing the foreword for our book. And, you know, it's like, you, you know, you'd think we would all be competing against, you know, against each other, but guess what? We just realize that it's going to take a village and we're better and stronger together. And unless we figure out a way, all of us, um, Denny Anderson, all of us women who are really out there and trying to pioneer and take this mission to the next level, it's only going to happen if we empower and support each other, you know? One is too small of a number to accomplish anything I love big. That. And we, we are stronger together and it's, you know, it's, I love, so I love Jen Ferguson too. Actually. <laughs> now I got, I'm going to text her after we get off. She's writing in our book. She's going to be a tap for two. I'm super excited. What is, and like, well played on the title, Jen. Well oh no, Lauren, I got to give Lauren Bailey credit for that. Actually, we were brainstorming and brainstorming and brainstorming. And then all of a sudden Lauren was like, oh, and we were like, yes, that's it. So that it's actually right, like triple goosebumps. Like, and when we, so it's going to be a really powerful conversation, but, you know, talking about uncomfortable conversations, you know, I think that that could tend to, we're pushing, we're pushing the envelope a little bit. And, and I love that. So I would, you should be a part of it for sure. I know you're I, all about that. I, I am on multiple fronts. I, you know, it's funny because part of me wants to, I'm so what where I'm thinking allyship mm-hmm. now. Right, specifically like across gender divides. Um, And I've come to view the silence of our men friends in the face of, you know, microaggressions Mm -hmm. or inaction as also being a part of the problem. And so I'm thinking about the men that I know that are supporting and helping other men to better understand what the problem is, which is a precursor to actually, you know, addressing the root cause as opposed to chasing after symptoms um, that do not move the needle. And when we look at the lack of the needle moving over 30 years, right, we can assume that if there has been anything done, um, it hasn't been working. That said, I, I almost don't care anymore or as much because I know that the women that are showing up for one another and that are aligning, we are making progress and it's starting, the pace of change is even starting to pick up. And so it's like, here, my previous soapbox of like, well, where's the met? Like there's a, there's a, and, and I don't think it's zero sum, right? Clearly it's not zero sum. And, and, you know, men showing up as allies and men helping other men and women helping women and black humans helping women and women helping black humans, you know, so it's all connected. But that said, I am loving what I'm seeing on the women helping other women front right now. And it's breaking some of the limiting beliefs that I have myself have had to your point, right? Initially, which was, you know, we've all grew up in a society where we've been as women conditioned to compete with one another. So that plays out right. Pretty predictably sometimes sadly, but again, so I I'm lurking to unravel those limiting beliefs and what you guys are doing and what you're sharing. And and these conversations, even on the show, I mean, the amount of progress that I myself have made, um, and evolving that I have done in the past like three months has just, it's still very shocking and surprising to me. And so, ah, thank you, Heidi. Thank you for being a part of it. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for working with our youth and breaking some of the stigmas around what sales is or what it should be and why this is a strong option, right? To be considered at that feeder program level. It's just, it's massive. Yeah. It's massive. Yeah. And so on the off chance, you haven't heard it yet today. <laughs> Thank oh, you. You're, you're welcome. And I do see progress, right? And of, of women supporting women. Although I do, and I do see a lot of male allies and am grateful because I think that, and I think the time is now because there's such a focus of companies 
that are starting to get more serious about diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, more beyond, you know, beyond just checking a box and marketing and yeah, putting a page up on right the and or changing the logo color. You know, I think, I yeah. think that they're really starting to, to get more ser- serious about it. And so I think it's just the culmination of a lot of things, but I still do believe because of the fact that men, you know, are still in sales in large numbers that, you know, we, we need to embrace our male allies and work in tandem and side by side with them. Um, we're not going to be able to just do it alone. We are, uh, it, this is my, just my personal opinion, but it can't be male bashing. It can't be an us against them. It can't be a bitch session. It's gotta be, you know, we, we, we gotta be in this together. Yeah, women helping women and, and coming together is, is making a huge di- difference. I mean, even six months ago, I didn't see the, the amount of conversation around women in sales. Yeah, very it, it was weird. It was like, I came up with Girls Who Sell, and then all of a sudden it was everywhere. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> but that was actually a good it's thing, true. kind of thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe the, it, it's the right time at the right place with the right it's message, time. right? But, but we still do need our male allies and mentors to, you know, help us get there. So participate. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, Heidi, do you, can you think of any men that are working with other men on the ally front? Like, oh, well, workshops? I mean, I had, I just did, we did a girls who sell webinar with on male allyship, the importance of male allyship for women in sales, actually. And I had Anthony Cesario on as well as John Bar- John Barros, who's amazing. Oh, John, John's yeah, amazing. Okay. Yeah. And there's there's so many. I don't know if there's an organization. So if anybody's listening, somebody should probably put a male ally, male allies for women organization together to that'd be sort of cool. But I, yeah, I don't know if there's an organization, but I, I listen, my boss is, is Neil, Neil Ray, uh, my company is a huge advocate for women and is getting, mm-hmm. you know, super intentional about, you know, closing the gap and, and on, you know, how we're going to market, how we're recruiting the kinds of, you know, being sure that we're using, you know, gender, gender neutral advertising and creating a culture that supports women in sales. So I'll give my boss a shout out, but you know, I think there's a lot of men, but I don't know that there's an organization of men supporting, supporting women. Just like educating men, other men about, so here's why I yeah, asked. It's a great when idea. I was doing my, when I, well, it's necessary, yeah. right? Cause it's, it speaks to the, it speaks the to the problem, problem right? right? So when I was doing my research for the article, I was doing interviews, right? So being very intentional, right? So it was a, a solid sample selection, right? So half men, half women, and you know, plus some. I started each conversation, right? So think qualitative data gather. I started each session with the same question: Do we have a gender issue in tech sales or in in sales? Yes or no? And then if yes, what is the problem, right? So problem statement, one sentence. It was exceptionally disheartening how few understood on our of our men friends were able to succinctly give me a problem statement. I mean, disheartening is a pretty solid understatement of a word right there. And but then on the flip side, you know, you're having conversations with with women and women, you know, my age and people that have been around for a while. And it was like the story after story that were identical, right? Tear, like the whole nine. And even like without even having an outlet, without having ever shared, right? Because these are not welcome stories yet, even still now, right? People are, I think, still hold these stories very close to their chest. But I, so I think there's a lot of need for men that are educating other men about what the fucking problem is. And a chance. And so, but I, my friend, um, Davidson Hang, who actually wrote a book on masculinity, he was an AE at LinkedIn and just is now he's 
I forget the name of his tech, but it has something to do with coaching. Uh, but anyway, so he, he comes to mind as well, but again, I, I haven't, I haven't seen much of that yet. And I'm, I'm with you though. I'm looking forward to seeing that step up or seeing our men, our men, friends and allies step up to educate one another about what yeah. the problem is and how to, how to That's go about it. That's such a good idea. Okay. It's so needed. Um, it, oh, it, yes. it's definitely needed. I, oh, I, yes. I love and that. Dudes listen to other dudes, right? That's how Well, it goes. and it is disheartening it for me to hear that, you know, did it was, did your data show that men didn't even recognize that there was a problem? It, it was it that Look bad? Look at Gartner. Uh, look at so Gartner last year, I think it was Christina Gomez is the she headed it up this particular study, but it was yeah, 83% of sales leaders do think is, are satisfied with the current state of affairs. 83% are satisfied. I'll send you the yeah, send me send me that. That is yeah, just, that, that is one after. disheartening, right? But I mean, let's call it what it is. It's dismal, you know, and but it starts by saying like, this is abysmal and this is still that's a problem right. and saying it loud enough and frequently enough from a diff- bunch of different voices. I mean, that's the essence of propaganda really, but <laughs> I, so I'll, I'll keep saying it, <laughs> which is what my degree is. And I learned it, uh, what my degree is in, and I learned it from the masters inside the beltway. So anyway, that said, um, okay, we're at our, our final, we're a little bit over, but so final two questions. One is like a piece of advice. Uh, and this one we do second, right? But I'll give it to you. So I'm going to ask for what is one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. But before we get to that one, Heidi, what is the most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in a revenue context? So this could be with a prospect. It could be with a client. It could be with a boss, a peer, a hiring manager. I mean, down the line, but like, is it to use a cheesy like sales question, like what, what's the one that kept you up the most at night or the one that you think about the most still? Oh, there's so many that I could, could reference, but the first one just, you know, unprepared that comes to mind is um, many years ago, I was selling to a medical device company. I walked into a room of probably 12 men that were the decision makers by committee. And we had already gone through, you know, a good chunk of the sales process, right? So we were getting to, you know, we're, I was in there on my own doing a little bit of orals presentation and we were talking pricing. They, I just got the shit beat out of me, right? Like they were just, pushing and pushing and pushing to a point where, you know, I don't know that they would have been as aggressive as they were with me with another man in the room, because what they were doing is they were using intimidation tactics to Mm -hmm. essentially try to get me to agree to a price reduction. And I wouldn't budge. And so finally, the one guy sat back and he looked at me, he said, so you're saying to me that, you know, it was a multi-million dollar deal. And this was, this has made my year, right? Like you're saying to me right now that you'll walk away if we don't agree to your price. And I got up and I packed my bags and I left. Mm, good for you. Were you there by yourself? Yeah. With 12 guys okay. in a room. It yeah. was, yeah. I thought I was going to die. I got into my car and I, I could barely breathe. I was, I was like, oh, how am I going to explain this to my boss? Right. Because mm. I was just like, this has got to be the worst thing I've ever done. This career ending. Half an hour later, I got a call from the guy and we won the deal at the price. Good. I mean, that is, I, uh, listeners, I wish you could see my big ass smile right now because that is so fucking baller. Um, I just, I need a moment to process that one (laughs) because like, so 30 minutes, like, thank goodness that you weren't left in limbo for too long because I could see that one playing around. 
I mean, as you think back on that one, right, here's where that would have done me in, right? And so I sold uh, so into legal. And so I know all about like partnership committees that, <laughs> um, but anyway, the idea, like, would that have happened if I were a dude? would have eaten me a lot. Like, and I'm, I don't know if eaten me alive is a, but I remember, I think Rebecca Traster is good and mad. I'm looking for it. Cause I know it's right on my bookshelf behind me. Um, there's a line about like part of the, when I think about my breakdown or when I think about my, what I could have done differently. Like, I remember trying to explain to people that like I said, said something a month ago and it was like a demonized and it was awful, terrible, bad thing. And then a month later he said it over there and it was celebrated and pre- like identical, you know, I, and mm. it, I just, I couldn't, I wasn't, we weren't talking about it often enough. Right. And so that wasn't out there and spoken about like it is today. And so it was like, I was like thinking I was going crazy. Like, is this real? Did that, is this really happening? Like, is this, and, and in the book, in her book, that that's was an actual line in there that it, you, you actually start to feel crazy because yes. it's not acknowledged. And so part of me even mentioning it now is like, okay, like I don't want anyone, if anyone's listening and it feels like it's experiencing that it is very real, it's right? Real. You're not is, crazy. You're not going crazy. <laughs> that is actually what happened. But Heidi, like the, that probably happened even 10, 15 years before me. Like I start like, what? How did you come to terms with that? It then? just, I don't know. It's, I, I just, I knew what my walkway was, to be honest. Yeah. And they were just yeah. bullying. It was the, it's these bully tactics. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't honestly have the authority to, to go below. I mean, I knew, I knew what my walkway was. And I mean, fortunately too, I, I all, you know, even though I thought, oh my gosh, you know, we're not going to get this deal. You know, we were really counting on this revenue. I know my boss is mm-hmm. going to, you know, who was a man, you know, is going to be disappointed, mm-hmm. whatever. But I knew he would support my decision to, to walk away. Not be bullied. Yeah, to not be not bullied be bull- and, and right. to, to walk away. And it was more than just the price though, for me, it was. I, I'm just not going to allow myself to be treated like this. It was, you know, I mean, I guess I could have said, you know what, let me take it back to my boss and I'll see if, you know, we can maybe, you know, I hear you, you know, we'll see, but I was just not going to do that. Maybe it was my upbringing, you know, but I, (laughs) or maybe it's just me being a stubborn and, digging my heels in, but I just packed up and left and said, well, thank you very much. Obviously, um, we're not going to be able to do business together. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. I knew they were testing me, you know, that's it. I knew they could, I knew we were competitive. I knew that they could Mm. pay what they were paying. It was all about them trying to beat me up and to beat me down. Maybe it's more beat me down. (sighs) And no, I don't think, well, they, we're gonna I don't leave, think we're gonna... they would do it to a man. I don't think that no, they, they would utilize have. those bully tactics and probably the meeting would have lasted, you know, an, you know, uh, an hour less and they would have been like, oh, hey, bud, yeah, sure, thanks, you know, and that they would have been done. You know, it's interesting. So there's two things. Well, one, thank you again from all of us for demonstrating to that room and to their circles of influence, whoever they told about, that those tactics did not work. And I'm sure that, I mean, hopefully, maybe they, they thought differently, but anyways, but thank you. You're for being... It was scary. I don't know that I always recommend it, but it was the scariest moment ever, but I've never told that story, oh by gosh. the way. That's well, kind of cool. So thank you for asking. <laughs> Yay. No, I'm so I'm glad this is exactly this is exactly what the show is about having these conversations and telling these stories that haven't been told. Um, okay, so last, last one, one piece of advice for our, our listeners about uncomfortable conversations, Heidi, Solomon, Orlick. have them, have them. How can our listeners find you? I'm 
easily accessible. The best way is maybe on LinkedIn. Um, feel free to follow me, reach out, message me, whatever. I, I respond to everybody. So there, and then you can also go on to the Girls Who Sell website. That's girls with a Z, uh, www.girlswhosell.com and uh, email me and I'll respond. Excellent. 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 All right, listeners, all that will be linked in the show notes, as you know. Thank you again. Thank you for making the time for us. Thank you for all the work that you're doing on all across the spectrum. Um, thank you for the book. I, I mean, just, I just, Heidi, so many thank yous for again, past tense, present and for what's to come. And I'm, I'm so glad that we've been able to um, you know, maybe expand the reach a little bit by, by getting this conversation out there. And so I appreciate that very, very much as do I appreciate you listeners for making the decision to invest this time with us and stay around through the completion, (sighs) truth, love, and joy friends and happy selling. Bye Heidi. Bye Amy. Thank you. Man, that was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please, by all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but, you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal. We are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, Please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff. Legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends, thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro, and that's a wrap. I can't, I can't, I can't. So this is Pete. Your disclaimer specialist coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show.
because this is a pod about transparency and difficult conversations. And with everyone being so open and honest, um, I must be. So here goes. Um, as the outroer to the outroee, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, I, I misled you intentionally. As your attorney, I must confess that I am not a fucking attorney. Um, I have not passed the bar exam in the state in which I live. I uh, have never represented anyone well in anything, let alone in a court of law. Um, but again, these are difficult conversations that we're, Amy's having with, with her guests, and, and I lied. And I should tell you that. I should be open and honest because, you know, we have been. So we can all be better. We can all do better together. And now I'm just rambling at this point. It's just, who cares? It's an outro, right? Like, this is just going to fade into blackness like the Mars rover. Maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.